0: Well, Katie, thank you very much, and Travis and Tanya and family, congratulations again to you guys, and, um, you know, we're praying for you, and grateful for you, so great stuff. Well, um, I've heard it said, and maybe you have too, you ever hear the phrase, um, hurt people, hurt people, you ever hear that before? Uh, I've heard that before, and uh, I've also never heard this phrase I'm about to show you, because I think I made it up, um, but it's something that I've learned over the years, um, and it goes this way, it's similar to hurt people hurt people. It goes this way. It goes, scared people scare people. Here's what I mean by that. Let me illustrate it this way. A few weeks ago, I was actually in a car dealership going through the so exciting process of buying a car, which it's just an amazing time. And as I went through the process, I got and sat down across the table from actually a guy named Tim. So I thought, how back can this guy be, right? And, uh, he was helping me close the deal on the finances of the whole thing and all that. And, um, and his job, evidently along the way, was to also to sell me a warranty that I did not want, right? Now, I didn't really realize this because it's been so long since I bought a car. Uh, now, I wasn't really prepared for that. But somewhere along the line, he says, well, here's what we'd like to offer you. This package, you know, that includes things that I never thought I even needed a warranty on. He wanted to sell me a warranty on tires in case they get, like, scratched or nicked. I thought, well, certainly, I need that all the time. Don't you all wish you had a warranty on your tires for all the possible scratches they get in the real world? And I'm like, hey, Tim, thanks for that. I'm not, I'm not interested. He said, well, let me just change the warranty a little bit and give you, you know, our, our second option. I'm like, that, yeah, thank you. I don't need that. Well, let me just give you one more option right over here. I'm like, Tim, I don't, I don't want your warranty. <laughs> Well, do you realize that you're going to spend this much amount of money anyway on your car going forward? And I'm like, I don't think I am. And uh, then he's like, this is the last time you're ever going to get this opportunity to get this kind of warranty. And I'm like, Tim, I'm about to walk out of this dealership. I, I don't even want the dumb car anymore, right? I mean, that's what I was feeling like. But here's what I learned about him. And, and as I saw the culture of that dealership, which is, which was inter- very interesting for me to watch. The, what he had to do after he was done with me was he had to walk over to the, <clears throat> to the manager, the, the main dude in the dealership, and then he had to report in whether he sold me the thing or not. <clears throat> And if he reports in that he didn't close the deal on the warranty, that gets him marked down for his future reviews. And so as he's sitting there trying to sell me a warranty, he's trying to scare me into a warranty. Why? Because he's scared that if he doesn't sell me this warranty, he's gonna get marked down on his job performance. <laughs> scared people scare people. That's what they do. You ever feel this as a teenager, peer pressure? You get a, a new kid who comes into school and he's incredibly athletic. She's incredibly gifted in in music. And the people who are well-established in their role as athletes and musicians and actors feel threatened that the new person could take their role, and so they're scared. And so what do they do? They bully them. They scare them, intimidate them into not being able to express themselves or not being able to join the team or not feeling welcomed. Why? Because scared people scare people. That's what they do. They're afraid of the control that could be lost. To put it another way, the reason this works is that this way, I'll say it this way, that fear sells. This is especially true in politics. However you voted in the past elections, one of the realities is sometimes we vote not just for our party, but we vote against the other one because we're convinced and politicians will want us to believe that if the other side gets power, here's how bad the world will be. And so vote for me, because you don't wanna live in the fear of what could be. And fear sells in politics. Fear sells with parents, too, I have to admit. Sometimes as parents, if you're honest about your parenting, and I think I'm honest enough to recognize, there are times when I have sold fear to my kids because I've been afraid of my reputation if they don't behave. You ever feel that way, that you parented more for their last name than their first? Especially when they're younger, feeling like, oh, I wish my kid wouldn't do this and do this and do this. And because I'm afraid of what people might think about me, I can fearfully or, you know, parent my kids in a bit of a scared way. Fear sells, it simply does, and scared people scare people. Now, here's why this is important, particularly if you call yourself a Christian. For the Christian... Christians in an ideal world shouldn't be motivated by fear. We shouldn't be motivated by being afraid, but we should be motivated by something very different. And what I don't want for you, and I think what you don't want for you either, is to live your life in a way in which you allow people who are scared and who are threatening to withhold power or future control from you to impact you and to shape you and to make you actually do things that you really don't want to do. Now, in order to to illustrate this, I wanna take you to a story, to a passage in the Old Testament. We've been in the book of Nehemiah, and we're continuing to be there this morning, and I want to look back at a period of time, at a story where someone, namely Nehemiah, was experiencing this exact same phenomenon that we experience here all the time. And I just wanna tell the story. I want you to see it, and I want us to interact with this story and try to bring some parallels over to where we find ourselves here today. And so if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 6. Um, if you don't own a Bible, it's no problem. There's a Bible in the chair near you there. You can also p- pull it up on your phone. <clears throat> but Nehemiah chapter 6, excuse me, is where we're going to be. And I have a tickle in my throat that wants to turn into a cough. <coughs> and I'm trying not <clears throat> to lose that. I may get a drink of water in a minute. Okay. All right, I think I'm good. Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to begin at verse 1. Read the bulk of the chapter here this morning. All right. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now, let me pause it there for a second. Ono, oh, you should know, is 27 miles away from Jerusalem. Now, in our world, 27 miles is not that far to go, but think about this if you were in this period of time. 27 miles, most likely by horseback, would you want to take a 27 mile journey to Ono? Oh, and the answer would be You got it. Oh, no. I have a bunch of dads in the room, dad jokes right there. Do you want to go to Ono? Oh, Oh no, there's really no reason to go to Oh No, and, and Nehemiah knows this, right? And so he, he, re, he calls it what it is at the end of this verse. He says in the end of verse 2, but they were scheming to harm me. And so I sent messengers to them with this reply. He's like, listen, I'm carrying on a great project and I can't go down. And then he asks the question, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same answer. That's a lot of times. Hey, four times, four times, four times, right? And then the fifth time, Sinballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand, and this is important, I'm going to talk about this in just a second. In his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written. Here's a letter. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now, this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. Now, let's talk about this moment. This is so powerful. And so, um, So much of a parallel to our world today. Number one, it's an unsealed letter. Look at the end of verse five here. In his hand was an unsealed letter. Here's what that means. That number one, anyone could have tampered with it. It's almost like he's sending Wikipedia to them. You can't trust the source because who knows who could have contributed to it along the way. It's unsealed. But number two, in in that it's unsealed, the point of the unsealed letter is that as they travel from where they are past all the villages on the way to Jerusalem, as they're going through, people are gonna wonder, where are you going and why are you going there? Well, we can tell you. In fact, we have a letter. It's not even sealed. Let me tell it to you. And what they're doing is they're spreading this seed of gossip in every village along the way. They wrote an unsealed letter so that the news could begin to trickle out that this is what we think about what's going on in Jerusalem, right? Now, what is, what is going on? What is this letter? It's actually, this is... <laughs> This is one of the first times in the scriptures that we see um, that I'm aware of. This is what I'll call one of the original conspiracy theories. That's what this is. This is exactly what this is. This is where someone makes something up or twists facts in order to get what they want. And this is exactly what this is. Look at what he says again at the, end of, at the beginning of verse 6. In which was, which was written, it is reported among the nations. What nations? <laughs> you start to ask the question. Now, I love this part. And Geshem says it's true. Ooh. Well, if Geshem says it's true, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, who cares what Geshem says? Now, in fairness, I don't know Geshem, but evidently Geshem was a well-respected leader in this place. Well, if Geshem says it's true, it must be true, right? You ever have this? I know I've had this many a time, and maybe you have too. Someone comes up to you and says, you know what? And here's a classic one. You know, here, (laughs) I don't like, you name it. You, You name it. I don't like, let me pick on something that's not even true. Tim, I don't like that you use a circle black table when you speak from on Sunday mornings. And there's other people who think the same way too. like, ooh. <laughs> this happens all the time. You ever go to your boss or hear from your boss from your employees, hey, we don't like that we have to start at 6 a.m. And others think it's true too. What, what happens is people will bring, because they're not sure of their own position, they'll try to bring in someone else's viewpoint to strengthen it. That's exactly what's going on here. The reality is it doesn't matter what Geshem has to say. Then he goes on, he says, here's what I want us to do. Moreover, so here's this conspiracy. He just creates something, makes something out of thin air that all of a sudden Nehemiah wants to be the king. And this report will get back to the king. And so he says, so come, let us meet together. Now, this doesn't make any sense. If they actually think, if they actually think that Nehemiah is trying to become the king of Judah, they would not want to meet with a conspiracy. They wouldn't want to meet with this guy, would they? They'd be like, well, if you're trying to do that, we're gonna go report to the real king and we're gonna get on the side of power, not on the side of this small little startup. And so if you actually think that they're trying to build their own kingdom, you don't offer to meet with them because you'll be seen as a co-conspirator. You actually go to the real king. And so this whole thing is flawed from the beginning. So this is happening... As I was looking at this, I'm like, why is this happening? Where is this coming from? In the text so far, we are not introduced to any fear from Sanballat and Tobiah. However, however, I'm going to argue, and I think we'll see it in a minute, that what is driving this is their own fear, that they are scared. They are scared of the power they are going to lose. They are scared of the control they're going to lose. And so because scared people scare people, they are trying to use scare tactics to get and control their future outcomes. They are trying to get Nehemiah to focus on his reputation and on this gossip rather than on the mission that God has called them to. This is what scared people do. Now, because they made up this whole world of, hey, you're gonna build your own kingdom, you're gonna become the king, this is a classic conspiracy. What do you do with conspiracy theories? The only way to fight them is to fight them with truth. To find the best version of truth that you can find and put it in front of the conspiracy. That's about all you can do. And I know conspiracy theories are complex and they've been a part of human history forever. It is not just in this generation that we deal with them. It is not just in this generation. And so this is exactly what Nehemiah does next in verse eight. He said, I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. He simply calls it what it is. He establishes truth and then identifies what's behind it. He's like, this simply isn't true. You think I'm going to make myself the king? You think I'm ready to revolt? I'm just going to tell you what is true. That's not true. That's not true. The only way to fight this is to talk about the truth. And then he goes on. You're just making it up out of your own head. And then he explains to us in verse 9 why this is happening. He says, verse 9, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will not be completed. Again, this is where I would argue that scared people scare people, and that fear sells. Their hands will get too weak for the work, it won't be completed, he says, and but I prayed, and I love what he prays here, he says, now strengthen my hands, he says, strengthen my hands. This is actually really powerful to me. Nehemiah, a strong leader, he could get away without offering this prayer right here. He's a strong enough leader where he could just say, you know what, guys, listen, listen. That's not true. We're not doing that. Let's keep working. But he actually stops and he says, strengthen my hands. And I love the humility of that. I love the honesty, recognizing that even in his great strength of leadership, he acknowledges that he has a weakness that he is asking God to help him with. He's saying, I don't have it all. I'm going to ask in this moment, God, strengthen my hands. Give me the courage to fight these enemies that are both within and without strength in my hands. It's a powerful moment to pause and say, here's a guy who knew his limits and acknowledged them in this. Yes, he fought with truth, but then he also relied on God to say, give me the strength for the work that is lying right in front of me. So after he rebuffs these guys and pushes back their desire to meet, they're not happy, so they offer another, they come up with another plan. Beginning in verse 10, we see another plan. So one day Nehemiah went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mahataabel, who was shut in at his home. And he said, "Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let's close the doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. And but I said, "Should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go." I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I'd commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Then Nehemiah says, Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nodiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. Here's our word intimidate, 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 showing up. And so, important verse in verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days, a huge project completed in relatively short time. And then what happens next, and this is the last verse I'm gonna read this morning in verse 16. What happens next brings our story full circle. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid And lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Now, here's what I want to do because I'm such a good illustrator. I created an illustration here. You ready for this? There you go. I appreciate the response there. Yeah, a little bit of an ooh. So here's here's the deal because here's what I think is happening in this text. The yellow... Like yellow represents fear, right? Like a yellow-bellied person is fearful, right? So yellow, I'm gonna go with the yellow person as Tobiah and Sanballat and all the enemies. On the right, to your right, is then uh, Nehemiah, all right? Beautiful illustrations, aren't they? The beginning of this story, chapter six, we don't read it, but what exists is fear in the heart of our yellow-bellied friends. Tobiah and Sanballat are afraid. They've got fear, all of a sudden, our The wall of Jerusalem is going to be built. We're no longer going to be the the king of the hill. There's going to be uh, commercial problems, economic problems. We're going to not have as much because they're going to have more. We're going to have to share resources. We're going to have to give up things. There's going to be a lot of things to be afraid of. That's not identified explicitly in the text until Nehemiah introduces it to us in verse 9. Like we read, they were afraid. And so what they try to do, because they're scared people, they try to take the fear of their future that is uncertain, and they try to push that fear onto Nehemiah. What they try to do is latch on in his heart to the fear that exists in all of our hearts about, for one, our reputation, and two, for our life. And so they try to appeal to his reputation, saying, listen, you should know that everybody believes this about you. Everybody believes that you actually are a a wolf in sheep's clothing. Everybody believes, and Geshem thinks it's true, by the way, that here's who you really are. You, you are an enemy of the state. You are someone who's organizing a revolt. You have prophets in place to name yourself the king. You, you need to know this is your reputation. And if you don't act, something bad is going to happen. And then when that doesn't work, he goes to this house, and the guy says to him, listen, someone is coming to take your very life. You're going to die tonight unless we go hide quick in the temple, and you can save your very own life. The fear of being murdered, the fear of having your life taken from you, it's a real fear for Nehemiah to face. And they try to push that fear that exists in their hearts and push it over to Nehemiah. And what he does is he pushes back, And this fear in verse 16, it comes back to where it was originally sourced. It comes back to their friends. And this is why in verse 16, look again at it with me. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. This fear settled right back into actually where it started. And it originated in the hearts of Sanballat and Tobias. They looked around and thought, we're... They didn't say it because that sounds too weak as a male leader. Like, we're afraid of the future and we're afraid of Jerusalem. They're doing really well and I don't think it's going to work. So what we're going to do, we're going to act a little macho. We're going to come up with a plan. We're going to kill people. We're going to do whatever we need to do. But we're going to act in fear, even though I'm not going to call it that. I'm going to try to scare people because scared people scare people and fear sells. And so we're going to start challenging the reputation of Nehemiah or maybe challenge his life and hope that we can tack on some fear in his life and get what we really want to get and here's what nehemiah did and how he responded i think is so helpful for us and i hope helpful for you and there's just three things i want to want to land on as we look at this story what nehemiah did when he rebuffed their fear and pushed them back the first thing he did the first thing he did and we saw that in verse 8 the first thing he did and the first thing i'd encourage you to do is to focus on truth is to focus on truth There was a conspiracy theory going out there. There was a a story out there that was manipulated. Facts, if you will, were manipulated. People's stories were put into place that didn't exist, and all this stuff, and Nehemiah just says, you know what, (laughs) let me tell you the truth. What you're saying isn't true. That isn't what is happening here at all. And here's why this is so important to me, especially if you call yourself a Christian. If you say you're a Christ follower, Jesus Christ himself said in the new testament he says i am the way many of you know this in john 14 i am the way the truth and the life so christians of all people in the world should be fundamentally champions of truth fundamentally champions of truth Not champions of anything else, but the pursuit of what is true. And I understand that can be difficult always to find, which is why sometimes I talk about the best versions of truth that we can find. But fundamentally, Christians are truth people. Truth people. Which is why (laughs) it's so important to be, I would say, to engage the truth of this world. A few uh, number of weeks ago, we talked about this in 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 a seminar over at the Together Community Center. And one thing I just want to encourage you with is this, as you're trying to engage the truth of your world and trying to figure out what even is true in our world, because the people who were hearing this letter that was going about saying that Nehemiah is going to be king, they had to discern, is this true or not? How do they discern that? Do they take Nehemiah's word for it? Oh, but Geshem says it's true, and Sanballat and Tobiah said it's true. I don't know if I can trust Nehemiah. How do I discern what's true? Let me encourage you, very briefly, to consider the author, the source, and the tone of what you take in. The author, who wrote it, what do you know about them? The source, where is it coming from, reputable or not, and the tone of it consider as you discern, what am I reading, seeing, and engaging? Is it true or is it not? Now I'm going to move forward with that because the next thing that they did, and the next thing I want to encourage you to focus on, Nehemiah focused first on truth, but also notice that Nehemiah focused more on character over reputation. This is so important. Character is what you control and reputation is what others assign to you. So the reputation is what Nehemiah was being threatened with. He was saying, St. Balan and Dubai were saying, your reputation is gonna be down the tubes, brother. People are gonna look at you and think you're a a renegade, man. You're a rebel. This is what we think of you. Nehemiah didn't even talk about that. His focus was on character. Sometimes you just know, like, am I doing the right thing in the moment? Am I being honest with the moment that I'm in? And then sometimes people will still think what they think of you but am I being honest with the moment that I'm in? Is my character in this moment a character of integrity? Not my reputation, but my character. Because once you start thinking about reputation, this is what, listen, if if you've ever been a teenager, for some of us it's been longer than others. If you've ever been a teenager, young teen, late teen, you will feel and you recognize the peer pressure. This This is where teens can sometimes go off the rails. And honestly, this is where adults can sometimes go off the rails too. When we think, oh, my reputation, like if I don't go along with the crowd, you tell me if I don't smoke that joint like I'm not cool anymore, you tell me my reputation will be impacted? Wait, are you telling me that if I don't sleep around that my reputation will be that I'm just some kind of tight prude that no one likes to be around? Is that what you're telling me? Because I want to chase a reputation. But what Nehemiah does is he doesn't chase a reputation. He pursues character. It's the character over reputation that is important. Because reputation, people can say what they will about you, and Geshem says it's true, and other people think it's true, and if you don't, then this won't happen. Pursue and focus on your character over your reputation. All right, focus on truth, focus on your character over reputation. Thirdly this, I wanna encourage you to pray. Strengthen my hands. (laughs) Each of you has, I'm going to put it simply, each of you has a mission from God. Each of you has a role to play right now, wherever you are, whatever your stage of life, if you're a student, if you're a young mom, if you're a teenager, if you're a middle age, if you're a grandparent now, if you're single, if you're um, later in life, if you're struggling with health stuff right now, if you're, wherever you are in life, each of you has a role to play, I believe, in the kingdom of God. That you have people that you influence. And I just want to encourage you to pray this. <laughs> Say, God, help me, help me not to be afraid of the anxiety that comes, the anxiety that tells me I'm not good enough as a mom, the anxiety that comes in, the people that I see on Instagram, the people that I see on Twitter, on Facebook, who are just doing an amazing job, but I'm afraid that I'm not doing enough as a parent. Man, maybe I'm not doing enough as a, as a student. Like, there's people who are excelling more than I am, and I'm afraid, I'm afraid I'm gonna fall out of favor with, and I'm gonna miss the mission of God that I have right here in the space where I am to focus on my character, to focus on the truth, and to pray, God, strengthen my hands for what I have right in front of me. And this is what Nehemiah did. He brought it right back. Here's my mission, I'm building the wall, boom, focus on the truth, on character of reputation, and pray, God, right now, in the season that I'm in, strengthen my hands for this work. I want to encourage you to do that. As you start your work week again on Monday, as you get back into what you do, I just want to encourage you, start off with, God, today, I'm going to need your help. Strengthen my hands. Strengthen my hands for the work that's in front of me. Give me strength, God, give me strength to do what I need to do. So here's the deal. Scared people, I believe scare people. I don't want you, and I know that you don't want you, to be scared by people. It's just that scared people don't always tell you, listen, I'm scared, that's why I'm doing this to you. Sometimes we'll just pursue reputation over the mission of God. Sometimes we'll give in to the anxiety of being left out. Sometimes we'll just respond to anxiety and fear without even knowing and identifying what it is. But here's what we know in John, in 1 John, and we covered this a few weeks ago here at this church. That perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That Christians, of all people, not only should be people of truth, but also shouldn't be motivated and moved by fear to act. And so when Nehemiah pushes back on the fear and anxiety that was trying to attach to his heart, he said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. Here's what's true. And here's who I'm going to be. And God strengthened my hand to do it. Let me encourage you. Focus on the truth of who you are, who God is. Focus on your character, not your reputation. And God, strengthen my hands for the work that lies right in front of me today. Scared people, scare people. Don't be scared by scared people. I don't think I can say that five times fast. Next week, we're going to talk about what God does in bringing joy to us when we engage him through his word. I look forward to seeing you next week. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together this morning, and I pray that you would give us the courage to stay on mission, to stay on track with both who we are and who you have made us to be. Father, I pray that you give us focus on the truth of who we are before you and also the ability to discern what is true and false in the world in which we live. I pray that you'd help us to be people who pursue truth, especially if we call ourselves Christian. May we yearn for and work toward great discernment in what is true in the world in which we live in today i pray that you'd help us to focus on character over reputation not chasing what everybody thinks not giving into the fear of being left out or not having enough or the fear of missing out i pray that you would help us to depend on you like nehemiah's prayer of god strengthen my hands I think I've got enough for this job, but I'm going to ask for your help. Strengthen my hands anyway. I'm going to need your help being a great dad. I'm going to need your help with a job of leading this company. I'm going to need your help going to work, shaping a future, making great decisions about a future spouse, finances, career. God, I pray that you would help us to be dependent people trusting your strength and to remember that perfect love casts out all kinds of fear. So, Father, we love you. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name we pray.